remain standing for our gospel lesson, which is also our sermon text from Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, teach us from your word how to long for you, how to long for righteousness. We thank you for the promise that you will bless us and fill us when we seek you and desire you. Help us to know how to do that and work your spirit in us, work your living and active word in us so that we are able to do this better. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Nutritionists have been have have dramatized the importance of diet by telling us that we are what we eat. The thinking is, if we eat too many donuts and Twinkies, then we will become walking junk food. And the argument works as far as it goes. Food is how our bodies live and grow. So to a large extent, the food we eat will determine our health, our bodily, physical health. But in the realm of the mind and spirit, the axiom, you are what you eat, is even more accurate and more important, more penetrating. If you feed on entertainment and excitement, materialism, violence, erotica, social media, then you will eventually personify them. You will become what you consume. If you eat the spiritual equivalent of too many donuts and Twinkies, or worse, you'll become the spiritual equivalent of walking junk food, or worse. Spiritually, you are what you eat. Or, according to Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, you are what you eat and drink. But here in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus backs up a little further, and He says that you are what you hunger and thirst for. It's not just that you are what you eat and drink. More important and more basic, you are what you hunger and thirst for. You are what you desire, in a sense. You are what you crave. You are your deepest longings, because your deepest longings are the ones that you will seek to satisfy. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, that those who hunger and thirst, those who long for righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for God, are blessed already. They're blessed by virtue of being hungry and thirsty for God and righteousness, the righteousness of His kingdom. Again and again, Scripture makes promises to the hungry and to the thirsty. Spiritual hunger is a characteristic of God's people. It must be a characteristic of God's people. 
Our supreme ambition is not material, but spiritual. You see, we Christians are not like pagans who are engrossed in the pursuit of possessions. The, the pagans have no choice. It's, it's their nature. But we have been given a new nature. We are new creations in Christ. We have set ourselves to seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness. The fourth beatitude deals with our appetite for the things of God. What is your appetite for godly pursuits, for godly things? What do you hunger for? What do you thirst for? What, what appetites have you cultivated in your soul? To know what your spirit is hungry and thirsty for, all you need to do is look at what you're eating and drinking. If you're not sure what you're, where your appetite is oriented to, just look at what you're eating and drinking. You will always eat and drink spiritually whatever your spirit longs for, whatever it wants. If you long for Christ, you will partake of Christ. If you long for the things of this world, you will, you will partake of the things of this world. That will be your diet. So what does your heart chase after more often? Worldly things or spiritual things? Are you drawn to the Bible as much as you are drawn to your television or computer or phone or Facebook? Are you pursuing Christ as fervently as you are pursuing your career or your social life or your comfort level or your retirement? What sustains you? What drives you? What are you working for? What do you get up for? What do you think about most? What do, you, what, what do you imagine would make you the happiest? Where do you try to find joy? In other words, what does your soul hunger and thirst for? You are what you eat and drink, but more important, you eat and drink what you hunger and thirst for. Do you hunger and thirst for Christ most of all? If so, you're filled. You're satisfied. You're a satisfied person. You're at peace. Until you learn to hunger and thirst for Christ most of all, you will be restless and discontent and unsatisfied and unfilled and miserable. At the beginning of his confessions, Augustine wrote a prayer that most of you have probably heard by now. Augustine prayed, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In the fourth beatitude, Jesus tells us how to hunger. He he tells us how our hunger and how our restlessness can be satisfied. It's by hungering and thirsting for the right things. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They and they alone will be satisfied. Do you want to be satisfied? In this wonderfully paradoxical sentence in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus tells us what we ought to eat and drink and how 
we ought to eat and drink if we are to have spiritual health and ultimate satisfaction. So do you want spiritual health and the deepest satisfaction? Spiritual health comes from spiritual hunger. You see that? Spiritual health is a product of spiritual hunger. It comes from spiritual desires. You can't have spiritual health without cultivating the spiritual desires first. You can't skip over that first step. You know, just keep your desires the way they are, your longings, your goals, your ambitions, your life. But I'm going to be, one of the things on my list is going to be to be spiritually healthy. It doesn't work that way. Spiritual health is the result of godly longings. The fourth beatitude is right at the heart of all the beatitudes because it speaks of, or speaks to, I should say, our core desires. It exposes the trajectory of our heart. It forces us to consider whether we really do rest in Christ and find our satisfaction in Him. It's a test of our faith. It's a test of our Christian character. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about the fourth beatitude. This beatitude, again, follows logically from the previous ones, he writes. It is a statement to which all the others lead. It is the logical conclusion to which they come. And it is something for which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. End quote. The first question that Matthew 5, 6 raises is, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? If we're blessed by doing it, we need to know what it means. Because Christ declares that hungering and thirsting for righteousness is essential to spiritual health and satisfaction, we must carefully consider what, it, what he means by righteousness. What kind of righteousness are we to hunger and thirst for? And this is, one, this is going to be one of the questions On the study guide, this is one of the things I want you to talk about in your small groups. What kind of righteousness are we talking about here? Some have supposed Jesus is talking about imputed righteousness. I know imputed might be a big word for for some, but it's in the Bible, so we need to know what it means. Do you know what imputed righteousness is? It's a theological concept but a biblical concept. Imputed righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that God gives to believers. He imputes it to us. He credits it to our account. He counts it as belonging to us if we are united to Christ, if we belong to Jesus. Imputed righteousness is not our righteousness, It's not your righteousness, it's not my righteousness, it's God's righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ, and we receive it from God by faith in Christ. Imputed righteousness comes from outside of us. It's a foreign righteousness 
that has to, has to be given to us by God. We can't produce it ourselves. Jesus is the only one who could accomplish it, who could produce it. He lived perfectly, and then His sacrifice is our righteousness. His perfect life and His perfect sacrifice is our righteousness that God imputes to us when we trust in Him, when we're united to Him. It's what atones for our sins. It's what saves us from God's wrath. Imputed righteousness. And it's the most important kind of righteousness that we participate in. That we participate in. It's fundamental. It's at, the, it's at the foundation. There's no other righteousness without that imputed righteousness at the foundation. Imputed righteousness is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 3.9, for example, when he says that we must receive a righteousness that is from God. And Romans and other books of the Bible talk about imputed righteousness in a similar way. Now, it's true that the imputed righteousness of Christ is fundamental. It's foundational to every believer's salvation. The righteousness that we receive from God is the most important kind of righteousness that we participate in because it's what atones for our sins. But it's not the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5, 6. He's not talking about God's imputed righteousness, the foreign righteousness that comes from outside of us. No, Jesus is talking about what we might call imparted righteousness or personal righteousness, personal holiness, righteous living. Now, we need to stop. That might raise some red flags um, in our minds if we say it like that. So, so am I saying that we can live perfectly, that we can live perfectly righteous lives and that's what Jesus is saying we must do and that it's possible? No, I'm not saying that we can be perfect, but we can be Righteous. We can have holiness. Not perfect holiness in this life. But once we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ, the Holy Spirit then begins to impart holiness, righteousness in us so that we can live righteously. And that's the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here and in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount when he uses the word righteous or just or righteousness. See, that that word righteousness or righteous occurs seven times in the Sermon on the Mount. And each time it refers to that personal righteousness, personal holiness, and inner righteousness that works itself out of your life as you live more and more in conformity to God's will. Jesus is talking about that personal righteousness that expresses itself in the way you speak, the way you act, the way you think. It's a growing righteousness. Christ's imputed righteousness doesn't have to grow. It's perfect already. Our personal or imparted righteousness is improving. It's growing. Jesus is not talking about imputed righteousness, despite what many want to believe. Not the righteousness that we get from God through Christ. He's talking about your holiness. And Jesus is saying here, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who long to live righteously. And it's a passionate longing, an intense desire. That's the metaphor he uses here. Hungering, starving, 
thirsting. The desire to live in compliance with God's will is expansive. It's always intensifying, always getting hungrier and thirstier. It includes an increasing sense of your need for God and a growing desire to be like God. He is holy, therefore you must be holy. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means longing after the practical righteousness that the Beatitudes are all about, that they represent, that each of the eight Beatitudes represents. The one who hungers and thirsts wants more and more to have the character of Christ and his kingdom. He pants after the fruit of the Spirit. He wants God's will and everything that God's will entails. The fourth beatitude is a call to pursue conformity to God's will. It's a call to pursue holiness. And it is, it is, it's stated in the most extreme of terms, as I mentioned before. It's, it's intense. Blessed are those who are ravenous for righteousness. For they, they alone, will be filled. They'll, they shall be satisfied. The intensity of the expression, Jesus' expression in Matthew 5, 6, is difficult for us to feel because when we get thirsty, all we need to do is turn on the tap and fill our cup with cold, refreshing water. If we're hungry, we just open the refrigerator or the pantry, or we go to a local restaurant. But many in Christ's day, especially in Israel and Palestine, experienced ravenous hunger and desperate thirst far more regularly than we do. We seldom, if ever, experience the kind of desperate desire for food and water that those living in that ancient culture experienced. We see it in the Gospels when the people are following Jesus and, and they're far away from any food Jesus has to provide for them. That wasn't all that uncommon, not nearly as uncommon as it is for us to experience that sort of thing. And so it's hard for us to appreciate the level of desire and desperation that Jesus is aiming at here. What Jesus is telling his audience is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for personal holiness, the way a starving man hungers for food, and the way a parched, dehydrated man yearns for water. Do you yearn for righteousness in your life with this kind of intensity? The beatitude fourth beatitude is further intensified by continual, ongoing, unending, by the ongoing nature of the hunger and thirst. It's continual. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's not just a hunger and thirst that happens one time. King David, when he was at his best, was like this. He walked with God as few men have. He penned some of our favorite psalms about 
his amazing spiritual experiences. At the same time, he wrote of his continual hunger and thirst for God. In the midst of his satisfaction, he had an element of dissatisfaction. He wanted more. In Psalm 63, verse 1, David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh or my body faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Who or what are you earnestly seeking in this way? Is it God or something besides God? Those are the two options. Does your soul thirst for God and does your body faint for God the way a person's body faints when, it is in a dry, when it's in a dry and weary land where there is no water as David prays here? That was David's experience. And Jesus is calling you here in Matthew 5 verse 6 to make it your experience. It's possible for you. These beatitudes are not out of reach for God's people. It's, po- it's a possible experience. You will have to transform your appetite to experience it by cultivating new cravings. See, it's possible, but, but not without some, some groundwork, some cultivation. It's possible to transform your longings so that your deepest desire is personal righteousness. So that you're on that trajectory. You won't arrive. It's not possible to arrive in this life. But you can be on that trajectory. And that's what Jesus is calling you to do in this beatitude. He's calling you to develop an insatiable appetite for righteousness so that you're always hungry and yet always being filled by Jesus always thirsty and yet always being satisfied by Jesus that's the way it is for the healthy believer always hungering and thirsting and yet always being filled and satisfied The healthy believer never has enough of God. Never has enough imparted righteousness. He always wants more. He is always hungry and thirsty for more. Which is to say he's always hungry and thirsty for more of God. The language of this beatitude may not make sense to modern ears. Even to the church. Maybe it's even too strong for some Christians. Because it rules out, what does it rule out? It rules out self-satisfied, sleek, half-hearted religion. In fact, it rules out perhaps the way most of us live most of the time. The only approach that Jesus accepts in this beatitude is hungering, and thirsting intensely for righteousness. Now, for, for some of you, and, and in a sense, this, I think this applies to all of us in one sense probably, but for some of you, this beatitude 
reminds you of a former life. Maybe it was when you first became a Christian and you were on fire. You were hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You couldn't get enough of Jesus and His Word and His people. The Spirit was working. You wanted to be challenged. You were joyously desperate for the things of the Lord. You welcomed opportunities for self-sacrifice and service. You were spending time with the Lord. You were faithfully worshiping God with other saints. But time blunted your desires. The so-called realities of life took over. And your hunger was abated. It ceased. Your appetite was curbed. Now you are content with a life of lesser, limited devotion to God. Yet you haven't quite forgotten the joy and the warmth of those earlier times. And perhaps the words of Jesus here still stir you. The fire is not burning as bright as it was, but there are still some embers that are being stirred. If so, you should heed this call of Jesus. Because you can be restored to the life of righteousness and holiness and devotion to God. You see, you must never, we must, no one must ever be spiritually satisfied. Whatever you do, never, ever become spiritually content, satisfied. Spiritual complacency is deadly. It's the enemy that doesn't really look like an enemy. Never let it gain a foothold, and when it does, kick it out, kill it. You must pray that each decade, each year of your life will find you hungrier for the things of God and thirstier for a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Blessed are those who continually hunger and thirst for righteousness and who desperately hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's continual. It's desperate. It's ongoing. It's intense. Hungry and thirsty people know Christ. Jesus says here that the spiritually ravenous are blessed. They're happy. Why? Because those who truly hunger and thirst know Christ. They know Jesus. That's the reason. If you have no longing for righteousness, you don't even have that ember that I'm talking about, you had better initiate a careful analysis of your soul. Christ's words here are, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a, a test, a gracious test, a test that we should be thankful for and that the people of God will be thankful for because each of you knows in your hearts whether you really do long for righteous living. Now, each of you knows that you, that you haven't attained perfection, but at the same time, you know what you want, you know what you long for if you belong to Christ. 
And if you do hunger and thirst for righteousness, if the Lord has given, given you that holy discontent with the way your Christian life looks this week, today, if your greatest desire in the midst of your failures, sins, setbacks, if your greatest desire is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, if you want nothing more than you want the Holy Spirit to do His sanctifying work in your life, then God's favor rests on you. That's, that's an indicator. that God's favor is on you. He's smiling on you. You belong to Him. Hungry and thirsty people know Christ. This beatitude is yet another attention-grabbing paradox. They're all paradoxes. It suggests that those who continually hunger are continually satisfied. Which is it? How can that be? How, how can one be hungry and thirsty and satisfied at the same time? Does it mean to be satisfied and to experience hunger pains? Jesus seems to be suggesting here that blessed people, happy people, are those who are satisfied but never quite quenched. Filled but never quite full. How does, that par- how, how does this paradox work? Well, most of us know how, how it works with physical food, Right? When my wife makes her amazing chocolate chip cookies, I might pretend to resist for a while, but eventually I pour myself a cup of milk and I enjoy one. As I eat and drink, my mouth and my stomach experience the satisfaction, true satisfaction of the cookie and the milk. It's a deep physical satisfaction. But... You see, the satisfaction isn't complete, is it? Because ultimately, the only thing that this wonderful experience accomplishes in me is the desire to eat another cookie and to drink another cup of milk. So, I do it all over again with the same effect. And it's a sublime cycle. And in this cycle... I experience the paradox of being filled but never fully satisfied. You know what I'm talking about. See some smiles. If you can understand my words right now, you've experienced something like what I'm talking about. Maybe it wasn't with chocolate chip cookies, but it was with something else. But have you experienced this sublime cycle when it comes to spiritual food and spiritual drink? You see, the spiritual cycle is truly sublime. You know this if you've experienced it. The more you conform to God's will, the more fulfilled and satisfied you become, but that in turn spawns another, even greater dissatisfaction. Your hunger increases and intensifies in the very act of being fulfilled. 
the cycle of wanting another cookie and another glass of milk is not, this, is not in the same universe as the cycle of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you must know that the world offers only empty cups and empty plates and empty bowls. The only people on the earth who will be satisfied are those who desire God. It's it's really that simple. Only believers in Christ can be filled. Can be filled with good food, with light instead of darkness. Only they can experience deep, lasting satisfaction. John says in 4... 14, or Jesus says in John 4, 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John six thirty four. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus used the image of a divine feast to illustrate the satisfactions of his eternal kingdom. On one occasion, Jesus told his disciples, I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We also need to remember the words of Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Another paradox there. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Jesus is asking you, what are you spending your time and money and labor on? And why are you spending them on things that do not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, Jesus says, and eat what is good. And if you do, your soul will delight in the richest of fare. So what are you waiting on? What's, what's in your way? What's stopping you from embracing the promise in Matthew 5, 6. What's stopping you from embracing the promise a chapter later in Matthew six thirty three? But seek first His kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So why are you worrying about the, all the other things that will be given to you if you do the first thing? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. So consider the force of this beatitude as we've considered it today. Blessed are those who hunger the way a starving man hungers for food and who thirst the way a parched man thirsts for water for righteousness, for righteous living, for personal holiness. For they will be filled. They will be deeply and totally satisfied. Perpetually. 
You are what you crave. You are what you hunger and thirst for. If your spiritual life is empty and pathetic, it's because your desire for God is also. If your soul craves ease and entertainment and comfort and worldly pleasures, the things of this world, temporal things, things that are passing away, things that don't matter and won't matter, certainly a hundred years from now, maybe one year from now, If it longs for the food and drink of this world more than it does for the living water of Christ and the bread of life, then it will never be satisfied. It's a, it's a dead end. If your soul yearns for God the way David's did in Psalm 63, the way Christ's did in the Gospels, then you are filled. And like David, like Jesus, your cup is running over. And the rivers of living water are pouring out of your heart. So how's your appetite? What's your appetite look like? There, there are a few things more important than your spiritual appetite. You are what you hunger and thirst for, that it's fitting to ask, how's your appetite? What do you crave? What do you really want in life? What are your, what's your goal? Remember what Jesus said to the woman, also the woman at the well, also in John's gospel, John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God, he's talking about himself, he's God's gift, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, if you just knew, if you only knew who was standing right in front of you, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is not any farther away from you than he was from this woman. In fact, he's closer to you than he was to her. And he's been raised from the dead. And he's been given authority over everything, over heaven and earth. So do you know the gift of God? Do you know how strong Jesus is and what he can do and how close he is and how well he can satisfy you if you ask? I'll close with the words of Revelation 3.20, the words of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let's pray. Father, we need your help to be holy as you are holy. It's a high calling, but we embrace it because you have given us Jesus and you've given us his spirit. You've been gracious to us. You've been kind. You are slow to anger toward us. Your compassion is beyond what we can imagine. And so we want to honor you. We want to please you in our lives. Help us to do that. Thank you for giving us Christ's righteousness, his perfect righteousness on the cross and in his life. Help us to be more like him. In Jesus' name, amen.